welcome to The Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 066, number 66 of The Flux Capacitor. For something different this episode, this podcast was recorded on-site at COP27, the United Nations Conference on Climate Change, in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Joining me, direct from COP27, is... Brian Vazjo, President and CEO of Capital Power. Brian joined me for a wide-ranging conversation that touched on the phase-out of coal electricity generation in Alberta, capturing carbon and producing carbon nanotubes, his company's shift to decarbonization, and new incentives for innovative generation in the United States with its Inflation Reduction Act, and Canada with new investment tax credits announced in the fall economic statement. Brian also shares his perspectives and impressions of the UN Climate Conference. And, as usual, we close our conversation with a book recommendation. Here is my conversation with Brian, recorded in Sharm el-Sheikh at the halfway point of COP27 in mid-November 2022. Brian, it's great to see you in Sharm el-Sheikh of all places. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. It's actually quite an experience here. It's a very different world, and uh, talking to people with different experiences and different perspectives has been tremendous. Yeah. Listen, uh, for starters, just for, for, for the listener, um, could you just give the listener a thumbnail sketch of Capital Power? Because... You're, you work for a, run a pretty interesting company with uh, operations in a whole lot of areas. So what, what's the kind of elevator pitch in terms of when people say, what's Capital Power all about? So we're an independent power producer on a whole scale level, uh, operate in three provinces, nine states, and we're everything from solar and wind up through significant amount of natural gas. and. Uh, Ultimately, we continue to have coal generation, but uh, that uh, coal will be discontinued next year in 2023. Okay, so let's let's start at the start at the, at the last one and move that forward because um, it seemed to me the target for Alberta was to be off coal by 2030. Uh, 2023 next year is, is is now when you expect to be off coal. Uh, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, I, I guess maybe one of the questions that a listener would have was, would be, um, it's good news, but what was the rush? So there was a number of things that, that were suggesting to us that we should probably accelerate uh, what we were doing. Regardless of being off coal, we were moving towards taking our coal fleet and, and, con- and converting them to natural gas right. and dual fuel. So you could burn coal or natural gas, yeah. depending on the environmental footprint, depending on the, the cost of uh, fuel. Mm-hmm. So providing that flexibility. But it became clearer and clearer that we actually had to take another step, yeah. you know, for environmental reasons mm-hmm. um, in particular. And so we made the decision that what we would do is uh, come off coal, but in it, it, but instead of just shutting down our plants, mm-hmm. we actually decided we would repower our Genesee one and two facilities, which uh, and not only doesn't it subtract uh, a few or subtract generation from the grid, it actually adds another 500 megawatts, so significant increase in generation. Okay, and then one of the other areas I know that, that the company's involved in is in carbon capture. 
and, and utilization. Uh, I yes. know um, you and, and some of your colleagues have talked to me in the past about carbon nanotubes and, yes. and, and lots of really interesting, innovative stuff. So what's happening in that space? The, uh, what we're doing is uh, we're continuing to work with a company called C2CNT. Actually, we own 40% of it. And we're continuing to uh, develop towards commercialization the production of carbon nanotubes, okay. which is an, an actually a phenomenal material. It can be used to strengthen steel, aluminum, cement, polymers, uh, significantly adds to their strength and electrical characteristics. Right. And so this is instead of simply capturing the carbon and pumping it underground, you're actually right. making use of it? Yep. It captures the carbon. And, and you know, some of the benefits, of course, is, is that it does take carbon out of the flue gas for, uh, for uh, creating these carbon nanotubes. But there's also a massive benefit downstream because you know the the work that's been done, the scientific work, and there's literally hundreds of pa papers that suggest that the the right carbon nanotube mixed with cement mm -hmm. can result in a 30% reduction in the s cement to get the same strength. Okay. So the real benefit is that you can avoid 30%. Uh, oh, production of cement. Okay. Yeah. And it's the same with steel, it's yeah. the same with aluminum, it's the same with polymers, yeah. is it significantly reduces the, the cost associated, uh, the, both the carbon cost and the physical cost associated with creating these uh, these various materials. So mm -hmm. it's it's got a massive, massive potential. Okay, so this isn't just... Uh, part of the, the, the reduction of carbon in the production of electricity. This is a market, this is a, a, a future business of yours, so you're going to be selling this stuff. So we are uh, on the track of, uh, of commencing a commercial scale operation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's referred to as the, the Genesee Carbon Conversion Center. Right. And um, it's been it's uh, evolved slower than we had expected, mm -hmm. um, and, and there's a number of different reasons for that. Not the technology; the technology continues to prove out very well, mm -hmm. and we're looking at uh, potentially an investment decision sometime around mid-year next year mm -hmm. to actually move to a commercial scale uh, or start of the construction of a commercial scale venture. Right. What are the big What are the the biggest barriers in terms of you know, developing that technology and commercializing it. What are the sort of things that are saying in the way? Well, the, the, the actual science, the chemistry is proven over right. and over and over again. Yeah. The issue is then taking it and scaling it okay. to uh, a, a large size, yeah. and, and that's the process and, and the uh, engineering work that's being done now, and ensuring that then you still get the same quality mm -hmm. and control over the product that you had when it was on a much much smaller scale, mm -hmm. so that's uh, a lot of the work that's that's taking place now. But also, um, there's just some simple elements of where you're able to, to, to on a smaller scale to be able to extract uh, carbon nanotubes in a you know, manually intensive process. Yep. You get into full scale manufacturing, you start talking about having trolleys and other things that are you know, uh, doing things in a much more mechanized way so there's a whole other part of sort of the process engineering mm. uh, more mechanical associated with it to actually end up with a, a relatively efficient uh, uh, overall process to uh, create these carbon nanotubes mm -hmm. so what's the what's the timeline look like for 
for a carbon well, nanotube market? And well, we're, we're hoping, as I said earlier, to move to uh, commencement of uh, construction next summer. Mm -hmm. The, uh, one of the other challenges that this has is it's quote unquote a new material. Okay. So it requires approval uh, by uh, Alberta Environment, or pardon me, Environment Canada, but as well the same uh, kinds of requirements in the U.S. And that's about a year long process. Okay. Okay. So when we get to a point where we believe that that there is sufficient immediate demand for the carbon nanotube productions that, that we're scaling to, we'll start that approval process and the design and construction. Mm -hmm. And both of them are about a year long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the things I, I ask folks that come on the podcast is about their journey. We'll, 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 we'll circle back to some of the other stuff, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm very interested uh, in getting a sense of kind of where you came from. Uh, I, I make the joke, um, when you were a young lad on the school ground, uh, did you always dream of running an energy company or, or you know, kind of what was your journey from, from there to here? So my journey took a, a, a lot of twists and turns. Mm -hmm. um, I never would have thought I would be where I am today, nor doing the things that I'm doing. Uh, I, and in fact, you know, all the way through, uh, through, through uh, my career. So I started, um, actually my undergraduate degree is in, uh, in, in, uh, is in education. Oh. I was originally going to be a high school social studies teacher. In fact, wow. I find Egypt quite interesting because I, uh, at one point I was considering a master's degree in anthropology. Okay. And so I started from, from that, that perspective. I did some substitute teaching. Um, and well, my wife was finishing her education, and our life plan was concluded that I'd go back to school. She'd finish her degree and support me through school, and wasn't sure whether I wanted to go into business or into law. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, uh, I had done uh, my GMAT, so I was somewhat positioned, but I worked in the summer on oil rigs. Okay. And I was in an accident that took off part of my foot. Oh. And um, and all my toes, wow. other than my other than my great toe, mm -hmm. and so ultimately I ended up in uh, you know laid up workers' compensation. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't let me substitute teach if I did any work. I was off workers' compensation, mm -hmm. but I could go to school. Okay. So I went into the MBA program, mm -hmm. and so that started me kind of on a business uh, business path. Never thought I'd be an accountant, but. Uh, First summer coming out of the uh, in the MBA program, sent around uh, a lot of resumes to large companies in, in, in Edmonton, and, and of course having an MBA ego, mm -hmm. I was suggesting that I'd be a you know great benefit to their management team. <laughs> of course, and yeah. took a whole you know, and, and I so ended up with a position as a as a temporary clerk in the organization that's now Enbridge. Oh, okay, right. And so I continued with Enbridge. They asked me if I'd stay and, and work and finish my uh, degree uh, while I was working at Enbridge and agreed to, to do that and stayed with them for 19 years. Mm. And did a, a lot of really interesting, a lot of, lot, just a tremendous company, but unfortunately it's located in the wrong city for, for my family and I and wanted to mm -hmm. stay in Edmonton. Yep. And then uh, from that moved over to uh, 
EPCOR is the chief financial officer right. and yeah. head of uh, most administrative functions and uh, all their development activities. Right. So that started me into the power business yeah. and, and the rest is a spin-off of the yeah. generation business that, that I led, the spin-off, and then ultimately uh, was the CEO in 2009 and mm -hmm. the rest is... Uh, is recent history. Yeah. So you you uh, worked on the spinoff itself when when Capital Power was created and spun off. Oh yeah. from Yes. Okay. Yep. Right. Yep. All right. So we talked about uh, we talked about coal moving to natural gas in your facilities. You talked about carbon nanotubes. You mentioned you're you you're also a, a significant wind operator. Yes. What, now that's not uh, just in Alberta, right? No. Yeah. So. Tell, tell me a little bit about the, the wind operations you have and where they are and, and, and how important they are to, uh, to, the, to the fleet that you're running. So I, I think the importance of wind, and in the, in, in the same with, with solar, is you know probably seven years ago, to, to name a, a time, mm -hmm. we looked at the future of the power business and you know, obviously you have to look much broader to understand what the future looks like. Mm -hmm. And we came to the conclusion that decarbonization was going to be the driving force behind our industry, yep. Yep. Uh, behind politics, behind regulation. It was, and of course, a huge, huge issue. And so when we looked at it, we looked at what our capabilities were, what we could do, and, and how we thought the world would evolve. And came to the conclusion, and we had some success on, on the wind side that um, in the long term, we needed to be very significantly in renewables. Mm -hmm. And so that's what started uh, really the push behind uh, our involvement on the wind side. So, you know, we've uh, got wind projects in Ontario, BC, uh, Alberta, yep. and in about five states. Okay. And it continues to be a significant part of our growth expectations is wind, solar, and also now teamed with batteries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, the batteries, how are they? Um, how are they fitting in? Is, is this a, an approach that is planned, or uh, have you already deployed wind battery accommodations? So we haven't deployed it, although we've been in some discussions from time to time with potential customers yeah. who are interested, in particular, with the combination of wind, solar, and batteries, mm -hmm. because then you get essentially uh, eighty percent. You know, renewable energy. Yeah. Whereas uh, any two of those won't give it to you, and any one will give we'll you give at you. most yeah. thirty or forty percent. Right. So it's sort of trying to get to that, to that say that ultra clean, clean energy. Yeah. Uh, and then being obviously rounded out with credits or, or other ways to do yeah. it. But uh, yeah. so, and there is a significant interest now that that has subsided a little bit with. The significant changes in the cost structure and supply chain, and you know the cost of batteries has gone up, cost of solar has gone up. Yep. Wind's probably the most stable yeah. uh, over the last couple of years, but right. the other ones have uh, had a significant amount of volatility. Yeah, and has that has that been because of supply chains, or is, is it a combination of other factors? Well, it's or? been basically supply chain. Yeah. You know, and, and the uh, the availability of scarce minerals. And, right. Is, is all you know driving and, and also government policy you know the United States um, 
is basically, you know, ban uh, uh, materials from a certain region in China that's, that that uh, has very, very uh, significantly complicated the environment because that, that's where a tremendous amount of particularly materials for uh, solar panels came from. Okay, all right. So I, I think when uh, the average person hears supply chain, they kind of say, well, okay, I understand that it, it, things are back ordered. Um, but it's a lot more complex than that, isn't it? What, what is it? What's it? What's it doing to to business to, to your business? And, and you know, what kind of impacts? What kind of delays are you seeing because of these supply chain challenges? So it did create a bit of a, an interruption in a lot of the renewable growth. Again, just because of the uncertainty that, that took place. But as we look forward, when there's volatility, you're not so sure where it's going to actually settle out. Okay. So our, you know, we were looking at before. A steady decline in the cost of, you know, particularly wind and solar. Right, right. And the question is, are we going to continue to see that decline? I mean, it may have shifted up a little bit, but mm -hmm. then a continuing decline or what? And there's a lot of people who are forecasting actually increases because of the scarcity of some of the materials right. and yeah. some potential, you know, with uh, what's happening in the United States yep. with uh, new regulations or, or, or new, or new be benefits associated with the IRA. Okay. There might be huge increases in demand. So it's uncertain as to whether we'll see costs going up, right. staying flat, or declining on the renewables front. Yeah. And it's the same for batteries. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You, you mentioned the IRA in the United States, the Inflation Reduction Act that had production tax credits and now the federal government introduced the fall economic statement that has uh, has uh, investment tax credits um, are, are, are we um, kind of on balance now with the, with with the US or uh, you know, cause I do wonder the degree to which dollars investment dollars is going to go to which jurisdiction um, is more favorable to to those kinds of investments um, what's your, what's your sense is it so the way we look at it, and we've got two areas that, that are of interest to us around the technology side, like um, carbon capture and storage yeah. and the different incentives, and, and then looking at it from the renewables perspective. Well, the renewables are always going to be drawn to the jurisdictions where there's the greatest you know, wind performance and enabling legislation. Okay, so both those things. Yeah, yeah. and so you know, that's, a, that's a very, very significant factor associated with that. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the lineup of credits that are available in the U.S. and, and what's available in Canada, they are different. But I'm not so sure all the other factors don't even it out. You're still mm -hmm. going to have, in in all jurisdictions, different levels of demand mm -hmm. for renewable energy. Right. And it just, you know, it, you know, before the pandemic, before uh, we had um, the challenges around supply chain, if there were was a significant uh, increase in government policy to reduce costs or as the drop, as we were talking about before, in renewables, mm -hmm. that just flowed through to the customers. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that that was that was always the case. And a lot of the drive by U.S. utilities was they had effectively quotas that they had to fill. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that dynamic, you know, isn't really going to change. Mm -hmm. uh, and in Canada, 
it's the it's the same thing. A lot of the demand for renewables now is being generated by either you know provincial or provincial utility direction, mm -hmm. or it ends up being the companies like Amazon and others who are looking at the ability to contract you know essentially greener energy you know for their operations. And mm -hmm. so. Right now, there's a little churn in the market as to, again, where prices are going to go and, and so on and so forth. It's a little bit more difficult for deals to be done, but mm -hmm. they'll be back mm -hmm. when there's a little bit more stability in the market for sure mm -hmm. on both sides of the border. Mm -hmm. right. So at the very beginning of, the, of the, the podcast, and as I'm sure as the listener can tell by the background buzz, um, we're at COP27, the United Nations Conference on, on Climate Change here in Sharm el-Sheikh. What's your impression so far? We're a week in. Um, what, what's your what's your, uh, your your sort of first impressions of uh, the experience here at COP? So I think it's it's absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're talking to a whole range of people from different industries, from different countries, um, largely you know a large political presence, of course. Yep. Um, you know, internationally, and, and we're just finding it to be. Very interesting, having great conversations about some new technologies, um, and, and you gain a, a much better perspective of, around the rest of the world. Sort mm -hmm. of, you lift your head up and and see and understand what's going on, what are challenges for for other countries, uh, other organizations. A lot of discussions with a lot of you know U.S. interests and uh, gaining a, a better sense of what their views are. And I mean, we're. Uh, very involved in other organizations in the U.S. And, mm -hmm. and, and get that, but there's actually nothing really compares to face-to-face -to -face conversation yeah. with people who aren't necessarily worried about what they say to you in a conversation. You know, they, they tell you what they think, not yeah. Yeah. what is politically correct. Yeah, yeah. So what's the what's the, the biggest surprise for you so far? I mean, it's far from over, but a weekend. What's the biggest surprise for you? Uh, you know, I've been on a number of panels from a number of different perspectives, given the the different organizations that we're in. Uh, but what I find amazing is that invariably on these panels, and when I talk about what. Canada does and what Alberta does and mm -hmm. where technology is and what's happening uh, and in fact one panel I was on the, the 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 individual managing the panel said is it ever clear that Canada's way ahead of everybody else mm -hmm. and that's the, the the surprise that that I find is that almost anyone we talk to and we talk about any almost any element of what's going on in Canada they can't believe the focus they can't believe the amount of, of commitment from, you know, the provincial governments and the federal governments and, you know, what industry seems to be doing. Mm -hmm. I would say my one disappointment and, you know, certainly very pleased that, that, that you're here, but kind of the one disappointment is I think in these kinds of events, we need more industry showing up. Yeah. There is a lack of industry voice. There's obviously a tremendous amount of uh, stakeholder voices yeah. from other yeah. sectors, but just not a strong, strong individual industry voice. You mean the people that are actually going to have to deliver? Well, on, yeah, on the I mean, that we're making. Yeah. Absolutely right. You know, you can talk about technology, you can talk about government policy, but it's who's actually going to 
put down the money yep. and make investments and make these things happen. And uh, you know, the uh, the industry discussions are very very informative. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, being here and supporting the the governments mm -hmm. of uh, both you know on the subnational basis and, and on a national basis is is critically important. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting. You know, you you you, you note um, the the positive view um, of what we're doing in Canada. I think, you know, we spend an awful lot of time uh, focused on uh, the challenges and the barriers and, uh, you know, the, sometimes the lack of alignment from federal, provincial uh, governments. But I think it's, it's, it's quite interesting that, that what's striking you is how we compare. And when you talk to people from other jurisdictions, and they've got a very different view of, of how we're doing in Canada. What are you What are you hearing about uh, the uh, the capital power story? Because I know you've been talking about capital power story as well. What kind of feedback are you getting when you when you talk about your vision and the company's vision for the future? Well, people are, and, and this again is part of the Canadian story because yeah. we, you know, what we're doing and where we're going is enabled by government policy, yeah. by government support. So, you know, they're, they're pretty much uh, interwoven. So there's a surprise that there is such a commitment by the governments mm -hmm. of, of, of Canada and, and, and the provinces to move forward with an aggressive agenda. And, and then which enables companies like ours to, you know, move forward, obviously, on the renewable side. But, mm -hmm. but you know, the one that surprises people the most is you know, we're going through a, a, a process right now where we're repowering some coal plants mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to be uh, uh, attaching carbon capture and, and uh, storage to that, uh, making the decision next summer. And people are just amazed that we are that far. And it's not just us. Yeah. It's across Canada and other yeah. industries and yeah. that there's a, a huge, huge uh, amount of CCUS that should come to fruition in terms of shovels going into the ground over the next couple of years. Right. And other people are just talking about it and they're sorting out what makes sense and doesn't make sense. And we've been able to clarify a lot of skepticism around mm -hmm. the technology and conversations with people and they hear this or they hear that and you sit down and you talk to them and say, no, this is, here's the fact set. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, we've had a couple conversations that have, have actually probably changed people's minds from other countries wow. about, yeah, yeah it, it actually is a, it's, it's a technical uh, solution that, that, that works. Mm -hmm. Now, whether it works economically uh, <laughs> or uh, geologically, which is a big issue, is, is, is another matter. But no, it certainly can work in Canada, and, and it's opening a lot of eyes. Wow. Very cool. Brian, um, last question, and I always ask this of everybody who joins the podcast, and that is for a book recommendation. Um, we've got a, a little thing we call a Flux Capacitor Book Club where we gather all the recommendations of, of uh, books from people who've been uh, on the podcast. And, and so um, what, what book would you recommend that the, that the listener pick up? So... And, and this goes a little bit back to, 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 to some of my history, but you know what I find uh, always a challenge is, is people, and, and I'm not an engineer, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm an accountant now by trade, 
is people's attitude, well, that'll never work. Don't mm -hmm. know how to do it. And the, the fact that, you know, if you really try to figure it out, there's a way to do it. Right. And so here we are in, in Egypt, and one of the great mysteries for years was how did they build the pyramids? Okay. And, you know, they did that by actually building up sand as they went. Mm. And so, you know, that it was, it was easy because they were always on working on mm -hmm. sort of levels. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, removing the sand after, taking, you know, in some cases over 100 years to, to, to do yeah, it. Yeah. But a book I read, uh, and I still have it, uh, called The Ancient Engineers. Okay. And you read it and, you know, you recognize there's many people in history at different times who you'd sit back and say, you know, how, how could they do it? How would they do it? How would, and you put your mind to it, you can get it done. And so I think, I, to me, I found that inspirational mm -hmm. and kind of gets you to sort of level set the way you're thinking and, and looking about things and it may spawn a little bit of can-do attitude. Yeah. Okay. The Ancient Engineers. Yes. Terrific. Brian, thank you for taking the time out uh, here at, uh, at COP27 in Sharm El Sheikh to, to sit down and have a chat. Really appreciate you plugging the microphone in and, and, uh, and sitting down with me. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for being here and helping the, the uh, Canadian team uh, show our colors and talk about the great things that we're doing uh, in, the, in the power industry in particular. I don't think there's, you know, we're, as an industry, there's second to none in the world. When we have an opportunity to talk about that tomorrow, um, uh, I, I have the honor of moderating the panel, and I'm glad that, that you're part of that panel, you're one of the, one of the panelists, so I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, thanks for joining the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. Keep an eye out for other dispatches from COP27. The website of this podcast can be found at thefluxcapacitor.ca, including links for this episode on the show page. And while you're there, check out the book club page, which provides info and links to the books which have been recommended by guests on the Flux Capacitor. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.